Let's pray together. Holy Father, thank you that even in these crazy, bizarre times, you are with us. I pray right now, Lord, that as we open up your word, as we continue in our journey through the book of Acts, that some word, some something will trigger that would just bless someone within the earshot of the sermon in a way that maybe I didn't even think about, but you knew. And I thank you for this in advance. I pray these things in the amazing name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So uh, I remember there's some things that you don't forget. There's some things that you remember because, because they, they are amazing uh, events that happen as if they are yesterday, but, but they're not. This happened 31 years ago. My wife had had some, some labor pains before what we thought was going to happen, but it, it hadn't happened. But this night, she said, I think it's going to happen tonight. And I remember we were, we, were, we were in bed and we were playing cards, waiting for the moment. And it was about, oh, I guess about 11 o'clock in the evening. And, and she, she kind of said, oh, Serge, I think it's happening. And I'm like, you sure? Yeah. I'm like, okay. And so we got in my little car. I don't even remember what kind of a car it was. I think it was a little Volvo I had at the time. And we drove to the hospital and uh, just remember just getting there. And, and, and at first it was as we expected, but as time passed, things began to get a little bit more dicey. Um, Nancy had had recent injury to her spine, and she could not have this thing called an epidural, which she had hoped she could have, uh, because, because her spine was hurting so much. And the birth was getting more and more painful. And I remember just kind of working with her. And, our, and we had gone through Lamaze classes. And by the way, we had pretty much laughed through all of the Lamaze classes. But we went anyway because that's the thing to do back in those days. And we went. I, I, I guess they still do it today, right? So we went through every one of those. and we went, So I remember being with her and saying, it's okay, breathe, let's go. You know, one, two, three. You know, and so, you know, and I don't even remember what all the breaths were, but I remember going that with her and she was, I remember one time she just went, just, just shut up, like that, you know, like, oh, okay. And I remember talking with her, till this day, I think I still have scars in my forearms from, from her putting her nails in there as she was going through this pain that got more and more intense, no matter how much I said breathe. Words were coming out of her mouth that I didn't even know she knew in those days. At one point, Nancy went to the bathroom, and the nurse, sensing the tension that was happening, uh, looked at me, and she said, you know, this might take some time. Maybe you may want to take a nap. I'm not taking a nap. My wife is going to have a baby. Because no, look, look, we can put up a little bed right here, just right in the same room where she's going to be, and we'll set up a little. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Meanwhile, as she is having this discussion with me, and I'm saying I'm not doing that, she's actually setting up a pillow and, and a blanket, and I'm like, I'm not doing. It. She's actually kind of sitting me down. She and I'm like, oh, 
fine, whatever. And so I, I'm, I'm just sitting at this bed thing, like, and then Nancy comes in, and she goes, what are you doing in bed? I'm like, I'm, I don't know. She put me there, and just get up. And I'm so I get up, and, and so now we're going through this. Chaos was intensifying, and I could not see, stand to see Nancy suffer. And it was at 7.05 a.m., about eight hours later, on November 7, 31 years ago, after all the chaos, all the suffering, all the pain, all the intensity, all the scars, <laughs> that this beautiful, brilliant, creative little girl named Brianna was born. I remember just, just being so tired and, and so delirious that, that when the doctor was about to leave, and he was giving us directions. I, I was so out of it that I remember saying to the doctor, uh, I, guess, I guess we'll talk about circumcision some other time. <laughs> and he looked at me, because we don't circumcise girls. I, I know that, I know that. I, was just, just, you know, I don't know what I'm saying. You know? It was that kind of a thing. And uh, I was just nuts. But here's what I want to say. Out of the pain that Nancy was feeling and the chaos and mess of birth, God created something beautiful. And I think every parent that can hear this knows exactly what I'm talking about. And this, that this message that I hope to convey today is that I believe that God has a way and God has always had a way to leverage the pain and chaos all around us for his glorious work. There's this text, this quote by John F. Kennedy that goes like this. The Chinese use two brush strokes to write the word crisis. One brush stroke stands for danger. The other for opportunity. In a crisis, be aware of danger. But then he says, recognize the opportunity. Be aware of danger, but recognize the opportunity. Last week, Nancy shared with us about the deacons that were selected, and then this one deacon called Stephen and the terrible, tragic death that, that he went through. In fact, Stephen became the very first Christian martyr that we read about in the book of Acts. And it's interesting because when we started the book of Acts, it was amazing. But in just a few chapters, the early church went from this spirit-driven force boldly preaching and converting thousands, a church healing and doing miracles, a church where believers were coming together with this uncommon fellowship, amazing, extraordinary generosity. They were selling everything, sharing everything, spreading the gospel, a church that was actually even influencing leaders and priests. A church went from this unstoppable force to what seemed to be a chaotic, scattered crisis. 
And I believe, and I still believe, that God has a way and has always had a way to leverage the pain and the chaos all around us for his glorious work. And I think you'd be pretty, pretty out of it if you're living in the world these days. And I don't care where in the world that you're living if you're not seeing the chaos all around us. It's everywhere. And I think as we go through this chaos, as we try to make sense of it all, I think it's important for us to recognize that God can use this chaos, can use this mess, and do something beautiful if we allow him to do so. So read with me how the early believers turned the seemingly dark moment into an opportunity to further the God's kingdom. We'll start with Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. And it starts off with, and Saul approved his execution. Talking about the execution of Stephen. And it says, and on that day, a great persecution arose in the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. And it says, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. This is from the NIV. Going from house to house, dragged them out and put them in prison. Can you imagine living in those days? Can you imagine all of a sudden hearing about the fact that one of your leaders was stoned to death. What would you be thinking about in those moments? And what if you began to hear about the fact, you know, there was no mobile phones. There was no Zoom calls in those days. You just began to hear the rumors. Somebody is going around from house to house dragging Christians, dragging those who believe in Christ and pulling them out, and, he, and, 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 and they are persecuting them. They're throwing them into prison. I mean, what would you do? I thought about this. I wondered, what would I do? What now? What does the church do? I have to be honest with you. If I heard that this happened, in fact, just right before I left, Nancy said, hey, by the way, I heard some news. There were 100 and something prisoners that just escaped this prison from nearby. I don't know where, but... You know, you're going to want to make sure you're careful. And, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, man, that's crazy. You know, lock all the doors, lock the church doors, what's going on. And I'm wondering, what would happen if all of a sudden crazy people would start gathering people from house to house and start persecuting Christians? What would we do? Shame on me. If my dedication to God's cause is only as durable as my comfort zone. Shame on me if my dedication to God's cause lasts only as long as I am comfortable, only as long as it just is good for me, but that's it.
Bible continues, it says, those who had been scattered preaching the word wherever they went. Did you catch that? Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. I'm sorry, I have to, that, that just blows my mind. Now what? That's what they did. They began to escape, which is good, probably what I would do, but they didn't stop preaching. As they were running away, they were like, hey, by the way, I want to tell you about Jesus. Hey, I'm on the run, but hey, guess what? You got to hear about Jesus Christ who, raised from, who was raised from the dead. He's the Messiah. I mean, just think about this. This is like crazy stuff. It says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. It's about 30 miles. And when the crowds hear Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So now we have this guy that's introduced. His name is Philip. Philip is introduced because he is one of the seven deacons. And there's no more deaconing going on in Jerusalem, so now he's on the run. And he goes to Samaria. And what does he do? Do you remember Samaria? Samaria was this place that the Jews didn't like. The Samaritans and the Jews had tremendous prejudice with each other. But Philip didn't care. Philip was like, look, there is persecution in my town. So I'm going to this town, and I'm going to preach the gospel there. If I'm not accepted here, I'm going there. And if I'm not accepted there, I'm going here. Now what? You got you got to love the genius of God. Check this out. God uses the persecution of believers and the chaos that ensued to launch his global evangelistic strategy. Isn't that awesome? What Satan wanted to destroy, God actually uses to further the work. I mean, that's the way God works. I mean, think about what's happening now right? This virus happens, right? And all the churches have to close the doors. And I bet there are demons and, 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 other, and Satan and others who are going, yeah, all right, we're going to quiet those Christians. But guess what's happening? We're going out to a larger audience. And there are more things happening. I've had more situations happen. And, I, you know, uh, nothing has stopped we're giving out diapers. We're, we're baptizing people. People are coming in a profession of faith. God is still blessing. God is still doing amazing things, isn't he? I mean, think about it. And so God took their pain. God took their crisis. God took their untimely dispersion, and he gave it purpose. He used it to broadcast the gospel to the ends of the earth and set people free. Because the church, obedient to God, is unstoppable. 
whatever the barriers are, if we are willing to listen to the Holy Spirit and ask, what now? What now? We are overcomers. If it's the barrier of persecution, if it's the barrier of relocation, if it's the barrier of the past, the barrier of prejudice, the barrier of geography, the barrier of technology, the barrier of finance, the barrier of education, the barrier of temperament, the barrier of pride, a little later in the chapter, which we won't get a chance to get into too much because there's so much in this chapter right here. There's a guy by the name of Simon the Sorcerer, and he wanted to buy Philip's ability. At first, he was really impressed. He was a sorcerer. He was a magician. People were following him. And he's realizing, man, I'm no way near as good as Philip. <laughs> and so he starts following Philip, and at first, he's like, man, how can I buy this stuff? How do I buy this? And Peter and John say, you can't buy this, and they rebuke him. And, what, and we don't know really what happens to, to, to the sorcerer, to, to <coughs> Simon the sorcerer. But what we do know is at some point, Simon realizes that there's a problem with himself. And he says, please pray for me. Even the barrier of pride, God can help overcome. The only barrier that God will never force through is the barrier of the heart. That's the one barrier where God says, you must invite me. I stand at the door and knock. And if you open, I will come in and I will sup with you. I believe that you just have to open the door just a little bit. Now in Acts chapter 8, we jump down to verse 26. And in verse 26, it starts off with, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road. I love that. It's almost as if Philip is going, Okay, what now? <laughs> I love this. What now? Okay, here's what now. Go to the south of the road, the desert road. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'm one of these crazy guys that reads too much into these passages. I, I'm willing to admit that. But why does, why does the Bible have to tell me that it's the desert road? Why does the Bible have to tell me that this is it? This is the, the last spot where there is water. I mean, would I be willing to go where the Holy Spirit takes me and am I, will, am I willing to go to a desert place? Am I willing to go to a place that's barren if the Holy Spirit says, this is where I want you to go? I have no idea what's there. I'm going not knowing, right? Well, why would, I, why would Philip do this? Because he's got that what now attitude. Would you go to the desert if the Holy Spirit asked you? Shame on me. If the only time that I follow Christ is if I'm comfortable. So now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to the south of the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. 
So he started out on his way. He met an Ethiopian. Now he's on his way. He hasn't even gotten there. On his way, he meets an Ethiopian. You know what's amazing about this? God says, I want you to go there. He's on his way. And it's amazing to, to, to recognize that sometimes it's not the destination that God wants us to be focusing on, but it's what's going to happen on the way to the destination. So on his way, it says, he meets an Ethiopian. It's a man from Africa. He's an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Which means queen of the Ethiopians. Do you think this is an important guy? Yes, he is. He's extremely important. He's very wealthy. And he's going, he, he is there. It says this man had gone to Jerusalem to do what? To worship. That's what it says. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home was sitting in his chariot. Apparently something had happened where he is just mesmerized by the book of Isaiah. It says on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. What now? So the spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Just hang out by the chariot? Yep. Okay. So then Philip ran up to the chariot. I don't know. I, I have a vivid imagination. That looks a little funny to me. Wait. <laughs> I don't know. What does that look like? This guy in a robe, just running. He runs up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you, uh, do you understand what you're reading? <laughs> By the way, don't miss it. I've said this almost every sermon that I've preached on the book of Acts, and I told you this was going to be a theme all throughout. God loves to meet us where we're at. Right? Philip doesn't say, uh, so it looks like you're reading the Bible. Hey, let me start with Genesis. Right? Well, let me give you a 28 fundamental belief uh, Bible study. No, he says, you're reading Isaiah? Let me, let me start with that. Do you understand what you're reading there? Sometimes we get ahead of ourselves. We need to be where God is. We need to be on the same road where the eunuch is. I love what he says. He says, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. Ka-ching! Right? I love those moments when the invitation comes. I was hoping you'd say that. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I bet it was a 
posh chariot. But he didn't care about the dust. He didn't care about the sandals. He didn't care about anything. He said, come on up. So this is the passage of Scripture that the eunuch was reading. Isn't it amazing, by the way, that we don't even know this guy's name? I can't wait to meet this guy. And here's the passage. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. This is in Isaiah, written hundreds of years before Christ. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice, and who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? I need to understand. I need to know. Please tell me. This has been bothering me ever since I left Jerusalem. This is, there's something here that I'm missing. I know. And then it says here, then Philip began with that very passage. Did you catch that? Philip began with that very passage and told them the good news about Jesus. Wow. You know, here's the good news. Here's what I want to tell you right now. Almost any passage that you go through, I bet you can find Jesus in them. Whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, it doesn't matter. I bet you can find Jesus in any passage. It's amazing. The only real cure for this broken world is Jesus. He is the theme of every book of the Bible, old and new. He is the humble lamb who alone can cure our arrogance. He is the only one that can heal our confusion, our prejudice, our racism, our deep anger, our insecurities, our hatred, the injustice and sense of hopelessness and this unity in this world. Jesus, and has always been and always will be the great physician. It's Jesus. And I have to tell you, what scares me the most about these crazy, chaotic times right now is what it may do to our congregation. I worry that somehow all the chaos and all the craziness that some of us would allow it to break us apart. And I, I want to share with you that if there was ever a time that we must show the world that Christ transcends all of that, it's now. That we are bigger than that and better than that. And what we don't understand, we're willing to understand. Where we need to ask forgiveness, we ask for forgiveness. And where we need to lay down our, our, our swords, we lay down our swords. And we come together at a bigger table 
an inclusive table and say, man, let's, un- let's, let's talk. Let's understand each other. Let's figure this out because we are Christians. And as if we could echo the words of old Abraham when he was with Lot back in the days of Genesis, when he realized that people were watching them, he said, let there be no strife amongst us. Because he didn't want people to give God a bad name. That's really what it was all about. That's really what should be first and foremost on our hearts. So verse 36 says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me, of my being baptized? Well, I'm sorry, but you haven't had all the classes yet. And, uh, you know, I've got to get this through the board. And uh, I've got to figure out, you know, what, uh, you know, do we have a robe? I, I, do you even have a robe? I don't even know if you have a robe and, you know, you have a handkerchief. I mean, I, I you know, not sure, you know. Uh, who's going to be, who's going to vote? <laughs> how, how are you going to get this through, you know? No. I love this. And he gave order to stop the chariot. You don't, even, you don't even know what Philip says. So then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. I, I bet like Philip just kind of smiled. Let's do it. Right? So then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, catch this. I love this. It's like one of my favorite moments in scriptures right here. The spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. It was as if Philip was like, baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What now? And as he's bringing him up, the Holy Spirit takes him. And the eunuch is like, wow, that was great. What just happened? Yes! Can you imagine that moment? It says, Philip, however, appeared. I I tell you what, I'm going to be honest with you. If this ever happened to me, I I would probably faint. Because this would freak me out at first. I would hope that God would give me the strength to deal with it. But it says that Philip appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Wow. Think about this. He disappears and there he goes and it's just amazing what happens. It's as if his whole life was about saying, what now? What now? What now? And we as a church, as believers, that's what we ought to be saying constantly. What now? What now? What now? 
a few years ago, a sweet lady from this church came up to me. And I, I, I had seen her. Maybe some of you have seen her. She helps out sometimes with, uh, with the decorations of the church. Her name is Carrie. And there was a, uh, a sermon, I guess, uh, that touched her. And she said, Pastor, I want to talk to you about being baptized. This is a few years ago. I said, Absolutely. And uh, I, I think she grows grapes because uh, uh, she brought me some grape juice just a few weeks after that. She says, now you have to return the jars to me. And so I said, sure. I said, look, I'll return the jars and we'll talk about your request. And so I, I, I returned the jars and, and talked to her about her request. She goes, well, I'm not sure I'm ready yet. And, you know, let's, let's talk again. She's really Really, if you know Carrie, she's really, really shy. And if you're listening, some of you know her from Sabbath school that she attends. She is an ardent student of the word. Uh, she's quiet. But don't let that uh, shyness and quietness fool you. Uh, she has been known to take volumes of biblical dictionaries home and read them from A to Z. This, this person is an intense student of the Bible. And so I, 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 I prayed, and the next year she gave me her new batch of, of grapes, but still not ready for baptism. And uh, so I, I decided not to press. I'm not one of those pastors that, that you know, presses and, you know, strike where the iron is hot kind of a person. I'm just not a salesperson. I pray, and I kept praying, and I, and I know that her cousin, Sharon, had been working with her and praying with her and studying with her for many, many, many years. But what I did do is I began to hold the jars hostages. Hostage. <laughs> it's like, you're not getting these jars back until you're ready. <laughs> so I got about... Uh, Eight jars at home now. <laughs> See, I strongly believe that God will never force through the barrier of the heart. Last week I got a phone call. Pastor, this is Carrie. I don't know how you feel about baptizing me. Next week. Like, next week? Like, next week, next week? Yeah. I said, are you ready? Yeah. I said, okay. Let's make it happen. I mean, what better time for a shy person to get baptized when there's a stay-at-home order and folks can't come out, right? And so yesterday, her cousin Sharon and her husband Dave, myself, Mike who filled the pool, Pastor Fred were here. We sang a verse of blessed assurance. Prayed together. 
I got to baptize Carrie. What now? You just got to listen to the Spirit. Trust His timing. Let me urge you. Some of you guys get a little impatient at times. We get impatient with our family members. We get impatient with people that we're praying for. We get impatient with things in our lives. Let me urge you to be faithful to the Spirit's prompting and leave the timing and pursuit to Him. His timing is perfect. He's the best drummer in the world. That I know. Thank you so much. Let's pray again. Father, thank you. We love you. And we pray that as we we continue in this journey, that your spirit keeps opening up new thoughts and new ideas to us. And And may we as a church be ready to always ask, what now? What now? What now? No matter how uncomfortable it gets. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.